This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Uh, it is Friday. It is six o'clock on Friday. It is time to launch the brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio. And today, um, love having her in. It's been a while since she's been here. But Terry Pekoski from the Hamilton Spectator, thanks for doing this. No problem. Thanks for coming in. Are it's you, good to be back. Well, you must be exhausted though, waking up every morning at four to watch Olympics. Yeah, I. I have been doing that every day. No. No? I'm not a person who gets up at four in the morning for anything. Not I mean, unless it is a flight to somewhere really tropical, I'm not getting up early. Have you watched much Olympics at all? I'm I'm sort of a night owl. So I've been watching sort of after the 11 o'clock hour. Is it new? I'm trying to think. Yeah, there's some live stuff then, right? They've I think, yeah, because that is what's happening the following afternoon, I think. It's, I've, I've found it very difficult this time, more than other times, to keep track of what is live, what is taped. You know, the only way I'm finding out is looking in the corner, honestly. And if it says live. Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea what's going on. No, I don't either. No. It's very complicated. And, and I've, I've heard, and we've talked about this on the show, I've been very kind of surprised at that there's not more chatter, more excitement this time. And I think part of it has to do with the fact that it's the time is making it hard for people to watch. It is. And I, I don't really understand. I, there hasn't been a ton of programming on like, like during the day. I thought there would be repeats of the previous day on the next day, but, but there's nothing. Well, and the stuff that is, again, is confusing. Uh, earlier this week, so Canada played Switzerland in men's hockey, the first game of the men's tournament. Mm-hmm on Thursday morning at seven o'clock. And I was chatting with my dad later that day, I think around noon or so. And he says, hey, are you watching the hockey game? The Canada's just started against the Swiss. And I said, well, no, that's, that's a rerun. He goes, <laughs> no, it's not. Did you spoil it? I didn't give him the end. I didn't tell him the result. But, but it is very confusing to figure out what is going on and what is live and what isn't. And the really tricky part, the, not tricky, the, the tough part is sports doesn't work very well if you know who won already. No, it, it, ne- it needs to happen in a very linear fashion. Well, it, the, the suspense needs to be there. Yeah. And even if, like, people who watch the greatest games ever, if you go back and watch a repeat of, I mean, pick your game. What's what's your favorite sporting moment ever? Oh, my gosh. that's From, from any sport. Uh, am I allowed to say, you know, the, the finale of the Mighty Ducks? <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, joking. I'm totally joking. But, that, but well, that's no, one I, 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 I know. Uh, yeah, I know what you game. mean. I mean, let's let's say you know one of the Olympic gold medal games, the hockey gold medal games, sure. like S- Sid the Kid's goal, Sidney Crosby. So yeah. So, th- but that was if you were watching that, that was one of the most stressful, intense things that you could possibly. Watch. It was insane, and and part of it is the collective experience, right? Being surrounded by a room of people and none of you know what's going to happen and then watching it happen together but and that eruption and relief and excitement when he scores but if you go watch that in repeat even knowing that it's going to end well that kind of takes away so you can't you cannot watch that game again and no matter what you do have that same experience you can't no you can't it's the unknown and the relief and the excitement everything else as i said so turning on the olympics now at three o'clock or four, whenever you get home from work, six or seven, and you're now, because of Twitter and social media and conversation, you know who won. If, if Canada won a medal in something, you know. And so if that event is being shown, you go, oh, well, I already kind of know. You know so. without even knowing that you know. So you look at Twitter, the first thing that comes up when you hit the the search, the 
you know that button that looks on like your a Twitter machine. Yeah, on the <laughs> <laughs> the technology yes. engine. Um, you you know you hit that and the the list of things trending comes up. And so the other day I click on it and it says Sean White. So either he you know has done something really terrible or he's won a gold medal. But. And, but but then you go and you turn the TV on and an hour or two later. But whose curiosity, if you see that, whose curiosity isn't peaked enough to go, oh, I wonder what Sean White did. Nobody goes, oh, Sean White, something, he's done something. I better wait until 10 o'clock tonight to find out what is. You don't, you, you go, oh, okay, I better check. And then you know. It's and also confusing though. You don't really realize it. So you, you see that and you might just, you might not even like key in on it. But then you turn the TV on a couple hours later and the half pipe, competition is on and then you're like oh oh yeah that now i know is this right? live and, it doesn't and, say live they're oh, only but- on their second run so i for me that has been sort of the the trouble with it is that you're right you you do kind of know what happens even if you don't know really know <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's, it's become weird. very difficult and it's and i also wonder and, and again we threw this out there if the fact that we have been as a country so successful for the past few olympics that the level of excitement or the the unexpected it's not there's no such thing as an unexpected medal for us i don't think anymore for canada we we this earlier this week we won two medals in luge we'd never won a medal in luge before and 8 years ago 12 years ago people would have been going wow we won two medals in the, now it's like we won in the luge great what else is going on yeah yeah because with Own the Podium and the success in Vancouver and the success in Sochi, we're used to winning medals now. That's a great thing. It is a great thing. Um, but we're used to it. it. It is weird. It really has taken a bit of a hard turn since Vancouver, hasn't it? I don't know that you could ever replicate Vancouver. I really don't. I, I'm, in fact, I'm positive you couldn't replicate Vancouver unless the Olympics were back here again. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Terry Pekoski from the Hamilton Spectator chatting about the Olympics. And Terry, in addition to the sports, which are always great, and mm-hmm. the fact that we watch a bunch of sports that we otherwise ignore completely. Yes. Have you at any point in the last four years said, you know what I got to do today? I've got to find some skeleton on TV to watch. I doubt it. I have not. No, I, and I'm, I'm sure there's going n- to, I'm, I might be disappointing I, I'm some sure people that out there, but yeah, no, I, I, think I have not looked it up. Nobody who's done that. I don't know if I've ever looked it up. No, I'm sure there's nobody other than the parents of skeleton racers or those who have done it. Yeah. And same with luge and same with, I mean, pick your sport. Uh, uh, snowboard cross yeah. and all these things. Like there are sports that we never pay any attention to, but now we're just transfixed by them. Yep. But also transfixing in a different way. Have you watched any of this North Korean cheer team? Have you seen them well, yet? Well, I saw them at the opening ceremony. Were they at the opening ceremony? They were, yeah. They were in the stands. Uh, and it is a real interesting thing, isn't it? It is definitely, I, I've referred to them as the over-enthusiastic Stepford Wives of North <laughs> Korea because they all look like, or or, they're, or they are leftover animatronics from the Hall of Presidents at it's, Disney World. It's weird. It's exceedingly weird. And what really has been interesting to me is how they've been perceived in these Olympics, which by and large has been somewhat positively, at least that they are just a... a uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking? A curiosity, more yeah, than anything. Yeah. That that people are sort of having a chuckle about them, 
And I find that very off-putting because I talked on my show on Wednesday night with a guy who works for the association, the biggest association in Canada that helps North Koreans assimilate into Canada if they can get out. There's not very many of them. Mm -hmm. And he and they are not speaking of them in hilarious tones. These are people who are not in any way free to do what they want. They're not cheering because they're def- they're desperately excited about North Korean athletes. They're cheering because if they don't cheer enough, their families choice, will be thrown into a prisoner right? camp and they'll be killed. Yeah. And I think when you look at it, like it, this is something to try and make North Korea look less threatening or something. I'm not sure. It, it's To me, it's very disconcerting. It is. And it's it's just, I mean, it's propaganda. It's right? exactly what it is. And I and I don't really understand why it's being allowed and also, you know, being sort of encouraged by some people or, you know, applauded when I mean you you have seen these other stirs at the Olympics already about political statements. I mean there there was this whole kerfuffle about that goalie mask. Yeah. That had the, the Statue Empire, of Liberty. Yeah, with the Statue of Liberty on it, which I thought was completely insane you're gonna have a debate about that but then an army of cheerleaders from north korea shows up and everything's cool i think part of the thing is that for south koreans given a choice between allowing some automatons to come in and cheer creepily Mm -hmm. is better than potentially having a bunch of missiles rain down on you during the olympics so there's that so you say okay we'll live with this but it it to me again whenever i see it i'm not taken by the fact that they are hilarious or funny or enthusiastic i'm taken by the fact that their families are back in north korea and if they try to defect or if they do something wrong their families will be rounded up and put into hard labor camps and probably tortured and killed it's not cute it to me it's just not cute and it's not funny and it's not and it, well it's not convincing either no. right i mean we all know that, you know, that picture of North Korea is so dramatically different from what is actually happening, you know, on the other side of that border. People are starving. They have been for years. This is not... But even beyond that, and you're absolutely right, but even beyond that, Kim Jong-un, even though his people don't have any access to the outside world, he does. Mm -hmm. And what I'm startled by is that somehow he has sent this phalanx of cheerleaders out to represent him who look like they are from some sort of time warp from the 60s or 70s as opposed to, so so if the intent is to show hey north korea is just like you are yeah. it's just like all no i don't think that's how people are taking it but it's i mean isn't that just sort of a semblance of w- what is happening in north korea broadly i mean you hear stories of tourists or journalists being taken around um to you know a North Korean grocery store and lo and behold, it's all, it's all just a front. Like they have made yeah. it up for the day. Uh, Got to make it look to, good. Just to, to show Western journalists or Western tourists. And, but that, it, it doesn't really exist in real life. Like this is, it's nothing new for North Korea. I just find it strange that, you know, so many of those behaviors are condemned in one framework and then applauded in this one. It's just, it's confusing and I don't really understand it. Well, I, I've, I understand sort of the idea, not that, I understand sort of the idea that there have been a bunch of people trying to take selfies with these cheerleaders. Mm-hmm. I kind of get that. We live in a selfie generation. People are going to do that. 
what I don't get is when they won't even respond, when they won't interact at all, not even by like locking eyes or at that point, do you not sort of say, all right, this is, this is more disconcerting than fun. I think I'll just leave this one alone. That's, that would be my inclination. Yeah. And I also just, I I don't know that it would fly anywhere else in the world. No, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. And Terry, if the Olympics were the big story of the world this week, certainly the big story in this province, I think, I don't think there was any, was there a story bigger than the Patrick Brown situation that was going on? It's pretty big. It is pretty big. And there's a couple areas, a couple ways I want to touch on this one, a couple things I want to ask you about. But let's start with this first one because... Before we get into the nuts and bolts of mm-hmm. it, Patrick Brown, of course, came out with guns blazing this week. He had a Facebook post essentially saying CTV is completely wrong. They've libeled him. They've defamed him. He launched a lawsuit uh, yep. on Thursday. He CTV backtracked on at least one of their claims. Other things have been thrown into question. Nonetheless, there were some people uh, who on social media said Patrick Brown is showing, is proving that he doesn't believe the women. That he may say, I believe the women, but by doing this, he is saying, I don't believe the women. This to me is a really interesting and tricky position to be in. And I'm wondering if, even if we, as a default position, largely believe women who make accusations or make claims of sexual misdeeds, should a person who is being accused not fight back? I, I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around the idea. If you believe that you're innocent, but you do believe women generally, should you not fight back or should you fight back? Or what do you do in that circumstance? It, well, the, I, I mean, the whole concept of that is a bit confusing. That's very confusing. Because he's the only person, <laughs> aside from the women, for whom this is not a matter of belief at this point. Now, there's three people for sure who know what actually happened. So for... For him and the two accusers. Yeah, exactly. So to des- describe it that way, I find it is, and to frame it that way is is weird. Either they, you know, he knows if he did it or he didn't do it. It's not, for him, it's not a matter of belief. Um, That's a good point. Because the, the, the argument here, or at least the suggestion by a number of people on social media was... His He, as the former one-time leader of his party, is showing that his party does not believe the women because he is not accepting their accusations and he's fighting back. Therefore, he is... I mean, you're right. It's a very confusing position to take. It's it's odd. And I mean, but he, he has denied this right from day one. Mm-hmm. So it, there's no surprise. Obviously, he's going to fight back or fight against it. Does that show him... We don't, again, leaving aside the truth of what actually happened, because we don't know that right now. Yeah, exactly. Only, only, exactly. But does this, by him fighting back, does this suggest that he is anti-woman? I don't, I don't think intrinsically. Um, you can, I mean, any more than someone like Steve Pakin fighting back against, you know, the allegations against him, does that make him anti-woman? I don't think so at all. And I think that that never really entered into the conversation. 
um, around him, or it hasn't to this point. So I don't know why, you know, it should be any different for Patrick Brown. Um, it's it's hard. It is a difficult discussion to have when no one knows really what happened. Um, and so we are at this point still dealing with a lot of hypotheticals and a lot of uncertainty and just all this sort of weird information come. I don't know. I don't I don't really know what to make of it, but I don't intrinsically think that by defending yourself against allegations that you say are untrue should be taken as saying I don't I don't believe women or you know women aren't to be trusted, that sort of thing. What about for any men who are not Patrick Brown, so that's every other man mm-hmm. who looks at this story and says, "Hmm, I've now got some doubts about this. I'm not sure. There are parts of this that start to make me think maybe this is not as originally positioned. Are they anti-women if they say, I don't believe these women on the face of it just because they made these allegations? Are those men anti-women? Uh, it, uh, well, again, it depends on the reasons behind it. You know, um, it's funny because a lot of this, I've been looking at a lot of sort of the, the Twitter comments that are attached to a lot of the the breaking news on this story and the rationale isn't there. So it's people either saying... The rationale you know, of what? what the mean? rationale of why people think one way or another about Oh, their it. background story yeah, of why so, they you know, think one way or the other. Okay. You know, he, you know, I think he's a great guy. He didn't do it or... Which, which means nothing. Or because believe the women, of course. Believe the women no matter what. Um why do you think that? You know, what What goes into that Because there could thinking? be sexist people who just would say automatically, I don't believe any woman. Well, and I, I think we're seeing that a lot in some of the comments, and, and that's kind of troubling, right? I would feel a bit better about it if I understood, you know, I don't, I don't believe it in this case because, uh, because this evidence that's now coming out maybe points to the contrary, or, you know, if they elaborated on it a little bit other than saying... You know, this is, you know, a liberal sham. So if I, and I agree with you, I agree with you that to simply say, I don't believe women, yeah. that, I, that women women lie, so I'm not going to believe women, that to me would be a position you would take that would be completely wrong because you've got to take it on the basis of the individual case. But is that any different than people saying you must believe women simply because they make an allegation? Is that not the other side of that same coin? I think you're you're... Your default position has to be that you need to take any complaint seriously. Um, and, and you can take a complaint seriously without necessarily believing it 100%. And there's also, you know, people need to realize, too, that belief isn't a black or white thing. There are different levels of believing, just as there are different levels of truth. Um, sometimes things can be mostly true and a little false. And that could be the case with Patrick Brown. I mean, maybe most of the allegations are true and they're a little bit false, or maybe they're mostly false and they're a little bit true. It doesn't mean outright nothing happened or that something happened. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. Continuing our conversation about Patrick Brown and what happened this week here on The Scott Radley Show with Terry Pekoski. And Terry, right before the break, um, you made some a really good point about the fact that some of this may be com- a little bit true or all true or not really. We don't really know. There could be some parts, but it's 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 a gray area for sure. That said, 
I would argue that this week or the last week in a bit, because you mentioned Steve Pakin as well, another case where the person who has been accused has fought back publicly and has received a lot of support from Mm -hmm. people saying, yeah, you know what? I actually believe you. If we start having, and I talked about this weeks ago when this thing really got rolling. If we start having a number of cases where it turns out that the accusers are not accurate, and we are not saying that yet because we don't know the story, but if it turns out that we start having a number of stories where the accusers' allegations fall apart, mm-hmm. what does that do to the whole Me Too concept? Which I think on its face is an important thing to be going on, but if it starts turning out that people start not believing these accusations, what does that do to the whole, what does it do to the people who have been accused? What does it do to people in the future who are going to be accused? Yeah, I think I think if if some of these accusations begin to be proven definitively false, I think it's damaging. Um, but I think if the Me Too movement movement has has taught us anything, it's that you know women experience interactions, whether they're sexual or otherwise, in a variety of different ways. And for some people, an interaction can be really upsetting and offensive and damaging and the exact same interaction could be absolutely fine for someone else. So I I think in that sense, we need to, again, and I said this before, you know, uh, listen to, you know, what women are saying. Um, It is, it's different to have a conversation about these things. Although, I I mean, this is a, this is a, with, (laughs) With Patrick Brown, it's an odd case because you get these allegations. He's a very public figure, um, and this it could ruin his career. It could ruin his life. You don't know. Um, so it is. It's 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 troubling in that sense. But I mean, it, it, I I think we need to continue having these discussions. Um, but and I but and th- to that point, see, here's where I'm saying this. This is why I bring this up because I agree with you about that. I agree wholeheartedly that if some if women have been dealt with improperly or treated improperly, they should be allowed to say this. And the people who treated them improperly should be called to answer that. But if we start having, this is the trouble I have with this. Mm -hmm. If we start having cases now that are shown, and we're not there yet, but that are shown to be false, the next woman who comes along and makes an allegation, you know exactly what the response is going to be. Look what happened to him. Look what happened to him. Look what happened to him. That's now where I am. And people are going to say, well, how can I believe you now? I That's think, why this is problematic. I think the question, though, is how, how are we ever going to actually determine for certain that these things are false? And by false, again, I mean 100% false, not partially false, partially true, that sort of thing. Most of these incidents aren't going to go to court. No. You know, these aren't these aren't things that are being decided by a guilty or not guilty verdict. So, and even if it was, that's yeah. only guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. That does. Well, that's look not. at the Gian Gomeshi case, right? And, you know, the Gian Gomeshi case. It's a, it, this start. Well, it didn't really start this whole thing. It, it came before this whole thing. There are a lot of people who still are uncomfortable with Gian Gomeshi's behavior, but what he did because of the way the witnesses, the accused acted or the stories they told or the collusion as it was talked about that they had, they made it impossible to get a verdict of guilty in a court. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean that Gian Gomeshi was a choir Well, even the judge said that, right? Um, And I I think, so that, that's... The problem, right, is around a lot of these questions, people are looking for definitive 
answers. Did he do it? Did he not do it? What exactly happened? People experience the world in completely different ways. Women experience the world in completely different ways from one another. Um, even when you both experience exactly the same event. So it, it's an impossible question to answer. You know, it, it's in, the, in one thing, uh, you know, one event that will ruin someone's reputation won't touch someone else's. It won't tarnish someone else's. So yeah, I've, I've just, I'm, ve- I'm concerned for other women with fully legitimate claims that come forward in the future if these things begin to be thrown into question. If we have a bunch of these cases that are now, and you're right, they'll never be completely proven or completely disproven. Mm-hmm. But if a bunch of them start to get thrown into question legitimately, because we really can't tell now, and there's real problems with stories, this, I think we're going to be right back to the start. Who wants to come forward and tell? Now, by the flip side, there are, uh, there are how many women came forward about that band Headley? There were a bunch that oh, said ton. that the ton that said, and they're not being so far because of the sheer number, they're able to tell their story and no one's saying, well, no, you're, I mean, Headley is saying we didn't do anything, mm-hmm. but, and mm-hmm. we don't know, but again, we don't know. We don't know. And while Me Too seemed pretty black and white at the start, which was only what, four weeks, five weeks ago, yeah. it's become a lot more gray in some cases right now, which makes it very, very tricky to deal with. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. This question I know has baffled humans from the dawn of time. Mm-hmm. Is a burrito a wrap? And I ask you this as you ponder that one, because I know like le- great legal minds have been digging into this. <laughs> In Waterloo region, apparently there is a lawsuit and a judge has had to have been working on this. And I don't know if he's actually come forward with a decision yet. But my understanding is that there is a strip mall or something and stores get exclusivity. So you can't have two bookstores and the same thing. If you take a lease here, we guarantee you no one else is going Mm -hmm. to do your same Mm -hmm. thing. And there is a burrito place and there is a wrap place. And I can't remember what one or the other is accusing the other of stealing their, eating their lunch, pardon the pun. So is a burrito a wrap? No. No? No. How could a burrito not be a wrap? It's a food that is wrapped. It's contained in a wrap. I understand that. But because, you know, because the quintessential element <laughs> of a burrito is not what contains it. That's just a vehicle to deliver. That's the packaging. The interior goodness <laughs> to your tongue. And I really do believe what fundamentally makes a burrito a burrito is the stuff, the beans, the cheese. Is the results the next day. <laughs> <laughs> that too. <laughs> But isn't that same argument to be made for a wrap that you're not actually eating the wrap, you're eating the delicious contents of that. No one eats just the wrap. No one walks in and says, I just want the pita. But when someone says, I want a wrap, and I I think a wrap and a pita are all so different. I'm going to put that and a sandwich. Now we're getting very I mean, if you're going to start conflating a wrap with a burrito, you might as well conflate a, a sandwich with pizza. Oh, hold on a second. My brain is bending at this point. I know. Point. I'm just, I'm My, blowing minds here. Only if it was an open-faced sandwich. But what's the difference then between an open-faced sandwich and a closed-faced sandwich? Just fold it in half. 
it's basically the same thing. But or a calzone, could... or Ooh, a I mean, there are no, you know. I I just really I believe that the important question in this, and I maybe the existential, maybe question. the legal experts will disagree with me or maybe i'll be completely right as my husband will agree i usually am (laughs) it's about the stuff it is about the interior stuff so what happens now so if you go to tim's because they now have those uh what do you call where they they do the press the uh a A panini panini. would a panini be a wrap or would it be more close to a burrito or would it be closer to a sandwich i would say a sandwich but it has a wrap Right? Because what makes it a panini has nothing to do with the wrap. Does it cease being a wrap and begin being a panini when it has those black char lines on it that shows that it has been paninied? Yes. So the... This is a case that I truly wish I had covered. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, if I had ever become a lawyer... And I think that, you know, truth be told, if my dad was put on a lie detector machine, he probably says, I wish he had. Someone will write a PhD thesis on this one day. I think this would be the case that I would want to have to sort of establish my legacy. Mm -hmm. Sandwich versus panini versus wrap versus burrito. I suppose you could throw taco in there too. Like, is there a difference now with a taco? Now it's not, it's got the hard shell. So see, I would think that you could make a clear distinction legally between a taco or as my granny used to say, a taco, which I always loved how she said that, <laughs> a taco and any of these other things would have soft shell. Well, I don't know. I mean, is it, but there, you have hard shell and soft shell tacos and are they not much like a burrito? You I don't have know, hard I don't shell know. and soft shell crabs down at Chesapeake Bay near Baltimore. They're both crabs. <sighs> They're both the same thing. See, I think that's different. It's different. It's not analogous, Scott. It's not, I'm sorry. What if you did at the burrito place, put in the same ingredients into a burrito and into a wrap? Would they then, could you have a burrito wrap? Could you, could you combine them? Could you mush them into one wrappage of goodness? I don't know. And I don't know where the point of no return is. There's somewhere where it's a well, certain combination beans. of ingredients. Yeah, refried beans, I would think. I don't know. I, I don't know how much further we can go with this. Does it, um, and I don't know if, as I say, I don't know if the judge has actually come up with a decision, a judgment. And I got to believe that in his chambers, the judge has called in all the other judges and is saying, can you believe I got to sit here and listen <laughs> to this case? I this this to me the sad part about this is this is where our legal system is that we actually have to hear cases like I love this. it. There are so many different ways you could argue this case. It, it would be great, and I think the best way to argue it would be to actually bring in samples of each and just all of you sit around and eat them and then decide. Is it the taste? Is it the look? Who is knows? Is it the texture? What is it? You're listening to the Scott Radley Show weeknights from six to eight only on nine hundred CHML. We just stepped out and they had a big box of Krispy Kreme donuts. <laughs> and um, it's amazing that in the span of that time frame, not only could it be consumed, but the sugar could already be fully coursing through my veins. It I could think be we're inject- both in a sugar coma right now. Those things are like crack. I want to eat about five more. And you could. I don't just mean you, anybody. That's the beauty of them. They're, they're light. Oh, man. But I think th- it's amazing that they are so light and yet they are so full of calories. It's terrifying, isn't it? Many years ago, not many, a number of years ago, 
I had to drive down to Pittsburgh for, for work. Yep. It was the time when Jim Balsillie was buying the Pittsburgh Penguins from Mario Lemieux. Uh, and and I moving them to Hamilton. Moving it to Hamilton. Yes. So I went racing down to Pittsburgh because at the first intermission of the Saturday night, I guess, game, Jim Balsillie was going to have a press conference and they, he and Mario were going to shake hands and it was going to... Anyway, uh, Erie, Pennsylvania is en route to Pittsburgh. Yes. And at Erie, at I think it's... What's it called now? Can't remember the street. Orange Blossom, not Orange Blossom. Anyway, there's a main exit in Erie and there's a Krispy Kreme right off the side of the road. Oh man. And I stopped there and I grabbed a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. And by the time I got to Pittsburgh, there were none left. No. <laughs> there were none left. You'd eat, I, so you'd start by eating like two or three. You ate a dozen donuts? And then That's not even, that's what? How far is that away? Like a couple an hour? hours? Maybe two and a half. Oh, Scott. But you're driving along and you've eaten two or three to start because you've got to start with, that's what you're going to eat anyway. Yeah. And you have this massive sugar high from Krispy Kreme. And then all of a sudden you realize I'm drifting off because now I've crashed. Mm-hmm. So you got to eat another couple to get your sugar levels back <laughs> up. And now you just ride this wave all the way to Pittsburgh. Oh, no. Sugar levels up. <laughs> oh, Okay, more Krispy Kreme. And if you time it right... You can extend that right till you get to Pittsburgh so you can make it there without well, that's actually good. I'm, You know, I, I am happy you've done the math on this. Uh, it's a, it's a, there's a scientific study involved, but I, I probably that day had 8,000 calories <laughs> just in Krispy Kreme donuts alone. I mean, Ooh. really, it's, um, and they're not around very much anymore. No, you don't. Well, because, you know, there's all these trendy little donut boutiques everywhere, that's, which I'm totally on board with. Yeah, well, what's the new, what's the new one on Lock Street? Um, Donut Monster. Donut Monster. Yes, you brought in some into the Spectator office They're a so few good. weeks ago, and first of all, they are the size of both of our heads. They're gigantic. And the one that I tried was that you brought in, and they were all weird flavors, weird in a good way. Was co- coconut curry? You doubt you went for the strangest, most off base one. Who could not try a curry donut? I did. And you know what? The first bite was very odd, <laughs> but then it was delicious after that. Yeah, yeah. And then later, someone another time brought in another box and I had a, uh, a sriracha something really? donut that was super spicy and actually had a hot pepper on it. You're so adventurous. I always go for oh, the fritters. I had one of those too. <laughs> People, not, they were not all being gobbled up. All. So you've got to do your um, do your diligence and do <laughs> your your good deed for the people of Hamilton by eating these donuts and keeping their business going. I could eat about six of those. So now all I'm thinking about is Krispy Kreme donuts because I know that box is sitting there still half full. Oh my god! Well, let's talk about something else then. Oh, yeah, but I'll be thinking about Krispy Kremes <laughs> even while talking about something else. You know what they should probably put on those Krispy Kreme donuts? A surveillance camera, a security camera. You're you're probably right, or are you? Well, the city of Hamilton is in discussions right now. As pe- people, if you've been listening to this station, reading The Spectator, watching CHCH, you know this discussion's been going on this week. There is a discussion about whether or not the city of Hamilton should allow homeowners to direct their, if they have home security cameras, onto public property. Right now, the law says, although it's loosely to completely non-enforced, mm-hmm. That your camera, if you have one, must stay on your property. I'm not really sure that there's any way to enforce that, really. Yeah. 
And in fact, well, we'll get to it in a second, but the idea is, well, maybe the police would like the help if you could have it go onto other public property. And what I found really interesting, Terry, about this is the the main argument, it seems, for this mm-hmm. was the killing of Angelo Musitano. That, oh. look, we've got security camera footage. Yeah. Because it happened to be aimed at the street. Because it, well, not aimed at the street, but it caught part of the, the street. street. in so the image, yeah. my understanding would be then, technically, legally, that camera broke the city bylaw. Yeah. That would be my understanding. But because it was there, we got to see what kind of car it was and we got to see the... So the police are saying, look, this can help solve crimes. Are you, would you, would you be comfortable if, I mean, I don't even know how many people in the city have security cameras, but let's say, let's say one out of every hundred homes had a security camera. I think that may be high. Yeah. But if one out of a hundred homes had cameras and they were all allowed to get shots of the street or of the neighborhood, would you be okay with that? Yeah, I don't care. I mean, we're all on camera all the time at this point. The Google trucks are driving by and, you know, capturing images of us in our bathroom windows. And, you know, uh, I don't, I just. It does make you want to keep your blinds closed It does, it does. But I, I, I think we're sort of, we're there already. I mean, there, people are capturing images of everything. I think you need to take it for granted when you are outside in a public place, maybe not in your, like. You're closed off backyard. That at that point, you can expect a certain degree of privacy. I think. Can you? I well, I think you should be able to. Um, but if you're on your front yard and you're out by the street and someone else is in front of the street, I don't know. I just it wouldn't occur to me that I, I was actually kind of shocked to learn that this wasn't happening or wasn't technically legal. Um, considering, I mean, we can all do exactly the same thing with our smartphones all the time. Well, it's interesting that it at the time that we're saying we don't want this, and and uh, by the way, I'm I'm I am the king of vacillating on this one. One day I'm thinking this is a great idea, and the next yeah. day I'm thinking no, I really don't want this. So I'm still, I I would love to say oh, I've got a diehard opinion, and I'm not changing from it. I'm no, I, I can see the pros and the cons of this, but at the same time that we are saying we want all of our police officers to wear lapel cameras so we can see everything which Mm -hmm. is in public yeah we're saying we want more cameras that's what many people are saying we want more stuff captured on film or video whatever it's not really film anymore i guess but so it's kind of hard then to turn around and say yeah but not this kind of camera but i mean it's streets are public property when you were out on a street or a sidewalk there's an expectation that you are in public. It's part of the issue that while you may, if you have your own home camera, put it out on the street, when you tip it up at the right angle to get the street, almost by definition, you are now going to start capturing parts of your neighbor's lawns or whatever else. So you're going to also be capturing private property. So you can't really separate the private and public anymore. Like when you say that if I'm in my backyard, that should be my private place. But you could say the same for your front yard, sort of. I don't think so. I would disagree. I mean, already you see it in the news. We deal with this all the time. I can stand on a sidewalk in front of your house and shoot video of the front of your house. I'm standing on the sidewalk. That's a piece of public property. Or I can stand on the road and do that. 
I'm a creep if I go and, you know, climb halfway up your backyard fence to get a shot of your backyard. That's not something that happens. You said about the backyard. This is, you know, and, and when you said it, it actually, I hadn't thought of this before, but you're not allowed, according to Councillor Marula, you're not allowed to videotape someone's backyard. But there's nothing that says that you couldn't stand up, your neighbor couldn't stand in their back window of the upstairs of their house and just stare at you in your backyard the whole time. Exactly. Should there be that? I mean, and again, the idea being, okay, your house, I guess, is your sanctuary where if you really want privacy, that's where you go. But should there be some part of your property that you should be allowed to say, should you be allowed to call the police, let's say, if you were, let's say you have a pool in your backyard. Yeah. And you and your husband are out swimming and you're in your bathing suits. And for many people, that would be the least amount of clothes you would wear ever outside. Mm -hmm. Unless you're a naturist or a streaker Mm -hmm. or a flasher. Uh, And so let's say you're out in your pool and you are noticing that your 17 or 16 or 15 year old neighbor is up in the window. Every time you're out swimming, he's up in the window staring at you. Should you be allowed to call the police and say stop him from doing that? No, but I do think it's, you know, it's important when situations like that develop that, you know, we were able to talk to our neighbors about it. I think this, it's sort of like a social contract, you know, we live in cities and when you live in a a city as opposed to out in the middle of nowhere, you give up a certain degree of privacy. It's just, it's. How would that go though? If you knocked on the neighbor's door and you said, Mr. Jones, I just want to tell you, every time I'm in the pool, your creepy son is staring at me. How do you think that conversation is going to go? I, I think would most... hope, if he's a good parent, that he would he would deal with it, right? You're an optimist. I, I think maybe that I would think... be a, such an awkward conversation. Of course it would, but maybe, you know, we need to, especially when we're living in cities and increasingly living sort of on top of one another, we need to get a bit more comfortable with having these conversations uh, and... You know, maintaining a certain level of privacy. So if, okay, we've got a couple minutes left here. If we're okay with the idea of cameras at the front yard catching the house. Yeah. And if we're okay with the fact that, well, people can look into your backyard, Mm -hmm. whether you like it or not. Yeah. Should we then be allowed to have cameras focused on the backyard too? Well, to make but, sure, because what if Terry, again, yeah. playing devil's advocate, yep. what if your house, what if you have a fence and you're worried, well, someone is going to at night climb over the fence and come into my backyard. Well, if I want to capture that person climbing over the fence, I have to, by definition, capture some of my neighbor's backyard on that video camera. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit trickier. I, I don't, I, I don't think this is the type of thing where people are deliberately going to be creepy about it. Like the point, the whole Most point not. is right. to, Most to not. capture someone breaking into your house, right? I don't care what the neighbors are doing in their backyard. Um, you hope. <laughs> usually. <laughs> if they're out there at two o'clock in the morning digging. Yeah, exactly. Be suspicious. I might ask some questions. Um, I don't know. I just, I think this is a case of people just acting a little reasonably. Like, what's the, I don't know. I just, what's I find it confusing because it's not like it's the police saying, we want to record everything you're doing on your property. I don't think that's what this well, is. Well, anyway, the is police want to be able to, if something to happens, use it, right? to access that. But it's not like they're just arbitrarily accessing it. 
You know what I want? We got to go to break. You know what I really am going to be interested in, though? Because if now this Musitano killing was in Waterdown, mm-hmm. and I. I hate to say this. I don't know if Waterdown's bylaws, I'm assuming they have the same bylaws as Hamilton bylaws. I'm assuming those yeah. would be the same. That right now, cameras aren't to be on public places. Mm-hmm. And it got me thinking, I wonder if the person who killed Angela Musitano is captured, thanks in part to the video camera, if that evidence will be admissible. Because if... The camera got something that by, by, even if it's not criminal, but it's a bylaw, if it says you're not supposed to be able to see that public property, you're not supposed to film that, and you did film it despite that bylaw, and as a result, you captured something, is the, the, what do they use in law, the the fruit of the poison tree, is it all not going back to the original thing that was not legal? I'm going to be fascinated to find out if that ever became or becomes- It will be interesting. Part of a defense. You can't- My capture, my client's capture was not admissible because it was based on an illegally positioned camera. Yeah. That, well, we'll see. That, see, that's the first thing I thought of when I heard yeah. these stories is that particular case. Because that's really, I think, where a lot of this started from. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. There are a lot of loaded words that we have in our language these days. There are a lot of words that people throw out there and for good reasons or for bad reasons, justifiably or unjustifiably, racist, sexist, homophobic. There's all these words that they are loaded words that people will use. Another one, if you call someone a bully, if you are a bully, it is one of those words now that it is, you know, we want to get it out of our society. And so we talk about bullying and I think appropriately as Mm a, thing you do not want to be labeled as a bully. No. However, there is a movie that was released in the last few days, Peter Rabbit. Could there be a more innocuous movie than Peter Rabbit? I don't, I don't know if so. there could be. I don't know. There's an animated retelling of Beatrix Potter's beloved story, except Terry. A number of people have been triggered by the story mm-hmm. because as part of in one of the scenes a character with a blackberry allergy a little animal that was allergic to blackberries that i guess was being mean or something was they defended themselves against this by whipping blackberries at it and so a group of people have now accused beatrix potter's the people handling this story of peter rabbit of allergy bullying and have demanded an apology and a removal of that scene from future showings and, and future, I guess, releases of the movie. Because this is this is bullying children who have suffered through allergies. What, the fact that it was depicted in this movie? Yes, that a way to repel another character or to get rid of them is to throw the food at them that they're allergic to. Are we taking the concept of bullying and... This guy, and maybe it's even more than bullying. Are we taking the concept of all these guys, like a little too far? Like, you know, we understand that your child has an allergy and we're sad for that and that's not good and we would not encourage people to throw shellfish at them, let's say, but this is a movie and it's an animated movie and is it going a little far? I get get the argument that it's dangerous to show a movie to kids 
you know, that is, is inconsequential and a, a kid sees that and thinks, OK, this is perfect. I can do this to that kid who's allergic to peanuts at school and they'll leave me alone or whatever. I, I can get how a parent might say that's not setting a great example, but I don't I don't get the the bullying part of it. I, I think that's a bit far-fetched but, although but couldn't I, you, you know. say that though not even the bullying part go back to what you just said before and you're you, i mean i i get your point and you're not wrong but couldn't you say that about an awful lot of things that are in movies well, even we're, innocuous we're all things? murdering people on tv you know like think of everything else that's on television that sets a poor example that's what i mean that's yeah. what i mean how many teenage I mean, if you really want to get right down to the nuts and bolts of it, how come we don't have, with with how many people in the States are pregnant as unwed mothers, as young, like young, young, young teenagers Mm -hmm. who are in no position to have a kid or to raise a child and that at no point would you say, I think it's great that she's 13 and pregnant or 14 and pregnant. And yet how many teenage movies do we see where the love story wraps up by them finally consummating the love. You know, the sex is a part of Hollywood movies. Why don't we say, you know what, that's sex bullying. Or as you say, guns in the movies, that's gun bullying. Or we have someone who's overweight eating maybe. Well, that's fat bullying. I mean... I, I don't understand the bullying connection. I think that's what where I'm lost. And I, and I don't agree with it. I think it's on people to you know, manage themselves and manage their children and make sure that they're not jerks. Um, that's, that's your responsibility, but I, I can, I, I understand the argument. I don't, I don't know that it holds up, but I, I, but I, I, I get the argument. See, I think we're just, and I read a piece on this, so this is not an original concept, but I wholeheartedly agree with it. I read it this week. I think we're destroying entertainment. We are, we're destroying movies, music, TV shows, everything, because Everybody is microaggressed by something or micro-offended by something. And if you have to remove everything out of every single entertainment vehicle that possibly could offend somebody, what exactly do you have left to be showing? It's just, it's kind of crazy to me, the things that people jump on, right? Like no one, honestly, no one seems to have huge, huge problems with people slaughtering each other on television. But, you know, you show a breast and people go crazy. Or in this case, someone hucks blackberries and which my mind, the first place my mind went to was, you know, a phone. And I couldn't understand. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I was so confused there. Yeah. Like who was allergic to telephones? Yeah, Jim Balsillie has um, his first starring role, throwing blackberries at people. Anyway, so I, yes. yeah, but I'm back on, on track here now. Um yeah, but if we I remove mean, everything that could be possibly offensive to but, anybody. But we don't remove the things that are most offensive. Maybe because we've reached the point where we go, I can't even complain about it anymore because it's just so obvious. In spite of all of the evidence and people, and people, you know, acting out and doing terrible things. We just, we're dealing with another school shooting yeah. this week, but guns are fine on TV. It, more than fine. Encouraged. I, I mean, I, it's, it's like, I don't know. And, and what's really funny people to me about it. that, and when I say funny, I don't mean ha-ha funny, I mean ironic funny. yeah is that who are the people who are often screaming and preaching the loudest against this kind of thing? Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Hollywood celebrities will stand up at a microphone when they're being them real, their real selves and talk about gun violence and all this kind of stuff. And then 
they're in an industry. Starring an action series, yeah. If they're in an industry and in a, in a movie or whatever else that's all about, and then you argue, they argue, well, you know, depictions of guns in the movies, that's an outlet. That doesn't lead other people to do stuff. And I don't know if it does or not. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a, I haven't studied whether or not seeing things on TV or in the movies actually cause you to do stuff. I'll say this though. Companies pay millions of dollars of advertising Mm -hmm. because they believe that if you see something on TV enough, it will affect your behavior to do something. So why would it be in a stretch to say, if I can make you see a beer commercial enough times that you'll buy our beer Mm -hmm. or a hamburger commercial enough times that you'll buy our hamburger. Why is it a stretch to say if I see for some people, not everybody, but if some people see guns enough on TV, they might think it's cool to do that. Well, I just think the more you see something, it normalizes behavior. You know, it just, you get used to it. It desensitizes you. Yeah. I'm not sure that, well, the other thing is who is the audience going back to this one? Who is the audience though, who is going to be seeing Peter Rabbit, probably the two to five-year-old set. Largely. Yeah, I mean, not me. I, I had no idea no. really what you were talking about when we start when we started going down this rabbit this, hole. This rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> but probably, as I say, it's the preschool crowd that is the yeah. audience for this. And are they? Do you think they are thinking to themselves, "Oh"? Johnny has a peanut allergy. Therefore, I will grab some peanuts and take them to school and throw them at. I See, I don't even, I think that if you, I've had kids that age, they're not putting those kind of two and twos together. Yeah, no, I know nothing about children, but. <laughs> you were one once. I was one once. Um, but I mean, in either case, I mean, it, it is incumbent upon parents, you know, whether it's an allergy situation to pull your kid aside and say, don't throw peanuts at the kid allergic to peanuts, even though you saw it in that movie, it's not cool. But also to say, you know, don't shoot people, even though you saw it in the movie. I mean, it's it's all, these are all sort of similar examples. Are at they Christmas, not of the uh, same well, sure thing? Is. At Christmas time, we watched because it was on TV at least 98 times on rerun. We watched Home Alone 2. Yeah. The one where he goes to New York City and gets lost in New York City. Yeah. And the first one was somewhat violent, although you don't really think of Home Alone as being violent. The second one, he's heaving bricks off the roof of a brownstone in New York and bouncing them off Daniel Stern's head. Yeah. In real life, someone would die. Yeah, don't do that. Here, Daniel Stern got flattened by about six bricks and he bounces up and he's slurring his words, but that's it. And don't set someone's hair on fire. Don't do these things. But was there were there any cases... Of some kid chucking bricks at people then off the buildings of New York? I don't know. Probably. But again, where were the parents? I don't know. I just... Maybe telling them where to find the bricks. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe that's the problem. I don't know bullying. Uh, Bullying to me is an odd word. I don't get it. It makes no sense in in that context. And you know, we talked last hour about the whole Me Too thing and Patrick Brown and everything else. And I think when you use words like bullying in a place where... It's unclear or not really understanding why it's bullying. I think you diminish that word for the real cases of bullying. I think that if you start throwing around the word all the time for everything, Mm -hmm. it eventually means nothing. Yeah. Save it for the cases where there is bullying going on and then it's people understand it and they can understand what you're talking about and we can deal with actual cases of bullying. Yeah. Well, glad we resolved that. 
Yeah, we've A quick it. break. Back after this on The Scott Radley Show with Terry Pekoski. Stay with us. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Continuing the brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio with Terry Pekoski of the Hamilton Spectator. Now, Terry, uh, for those who don't know you, and uh, I do, I work with you every day. You work hard. You have a husband who works hard. You are a younger couple. Mm-hmm. But you bust your hump most of the time so you can own a home and live your life and do other things. So you and others came to mind this week when I read this story about this couple in the States who, I think they were both 24 or 24 and 26 or something. Anyway, they decided, you know what? All this working to make a living stuff is just, you know, I don't want, why why am I working all week just so I can relax on the weekend? And so what they did is they sold whatever they had and bought a sailboat and decided that they were going to sail the ocean blue for the rest of their time. They're going to travel the world in their new sailboat, living the free dream. But sadly, it didn't go as planned because on day two, the sailboat hit a sandbar and sunk. Uh huh. So their their dream lasted for two days. But but thankfully, the dream is not dead yet, Terry, because... This couple, knowing that you and I and everyone else who appreciates their dream mm-hmm. would want to contribute to make sure that they could oh, continue no. to persist and to go on with this, they started a GoFundMe page seeking tens of thousands of dollars to buy a new sailboat so they could relaunch again. What am I missing here? Did it work? I don't think they've raised a whole lot of money. I don't think they've turned into particularly sympathetic characters at this point. I hate people. I just hate people. <laughs> but when did we decide that, because there's a bunch, I'm, they're not the only ones. When did they decide that, when did we decide, pardon me, as a society or groups of our society decide, I shouldn't actually have to work. I should just live. I don't really care if I work. I just want to live. I, I understand that could be a dream, it's called retirement. Mm-hmm. But before retirement, you put in your time and you contribute to society, don't you? Isn't that the kind of the concept? Well, yeah. If you want things like a house or a sailboat or a car or whatever it is. Or food. You got to pay for it. And that money has to come. People don't just give you money. But that was the plan. That was their belief that if I go, if I sail around and I stop in Bermuda, the Bermudans, as an example, would say, what a great concept. Let us support you. Let us give you some groceries and send you on your way till you can get to wherever. It's insane. But how, but how have, how has it happened that some people have, and now maybe it's a too general a question, but how has it gotten to the point where some people believe this is Okay, that this I, is because cool. it has worked for some people, you know, probably they, you know, it, it GoFundMe pages have been wildly successful in a lot of cases. Um, how did we get there though, like culturally, socially? Yeah. Because I, have you I not heard know. this before? Not this specific story, but the, the phrase, and I don't have the exact phraseology, but I don't want to work so hard just to be able to pay for my vacations. I want to live my life. That's the that's sort of what's behind this. I don't want to have to work to enjoy myself. I just I don't I just want get to enjoy it. myself. I don't get it. I have a hard time even wrapping my head around it because I'm a bit of a workaholic and I actually feel guilty if I'm not 
doing something productive like 60 hours a week. Like I, I start to feel, I'm not even joking, I start to feel weird about it. And and I, I think, you know, some people really like working. They understand the value in it. And But Tara, you're, you're wasting your life, they would say, because all this work, you're not getting to really live. You're not really living, Terry. You're you're working too hard. Oh, I just I think it's I think it's weird and lazy. Well, I'm glad you said that because that is my inclination. That there is, I'm all for people taking vacations. I'm all for people doing. But I, I think it's part of. Did you use the word or did I use the word social contract? It's part of the social contract that you are going to contribute in some way to your society. And part of contributing to society means in return for that, we will give you the things that you need to live. Your contribution to society is not to say, feed me. Yeah. Now, if you can't, like if we're talking about someone who's got a disability, that's not what we're talking about, all right? If it's, if it's a person who needs help from society, that is something entirely different. Yes. Okay, we're not talking about that at all. These are people fully capable. They have had jobs. But they don't want to, they just don't want to do that. They don't want to do them because they would rather live. I don't even, I honestly, I I don't know how you feel good about yourself when you do that. Because for me, even vacations are a little hard sometimes. It takes me days to to actually kind of relax. Decompress. Yeah. and, And the only reason vacations feel good is because you had to do all of this hard stuff to, to get that, I, I just, how is it even meaningful if you're just on vacation all the time? I don't know. I don't, I, As you know, because I, I complain it. all the time about it at work, I've been going to the gym every night for the past couple of weeks. I've heard one, yes, once or twice about this. And I run on the treadmill every night. And I'll tell you something, the best feeling all day is when I stop. But I don't get to have that feeling of stopping and feeling how good it is to stop feeling pain without the pain that I feel to be able to stop. I know, right? And so to your point, and I think it's a terrific and deep point, if you never have to do anything to then have a break from it, the break doesn't do anything then. It's just like, I almost think that they don't get that ultimately if they just are sailing for their whole life and begging, that will become their job. Now, they won't get paid for it. They won't contribute in any way to anything, but that becomes work. Yeah. But there's this dream that somehow I can just live the life and I can not have responsibilities and I can... Is it just youth? Because, I mean, I, I, I'm not, ter- you know, that much older than them, but I'm old and, you know, I'm I'm 35. Am I just like, I'm, I'm you may be at the You may be at the just past that age group. See, and I don't want to use the M word because I don't believe that most millennials hold this view. I don't believe most of them are saying, I don't want to work. I just want to live. I don't believe that. millennials are super hardworking. Yeah. I don't believe that, but that's where this, but, but that said, I do think that most of the people who hold this view are in that age group, right? I think most millennials are very hardworking and want to have a job and want to work hard and want to do that. But I find most of the people who seem to come publicly anyway and say these kind of things, I want to just live rather than working, fall into that age group. And I don't know if that's fair or not. But so to answer your question, is it just youth? I don't think it's all youth. I don't think it's most youth. 
But I'd love to know what, if nothing else, what did mom or dad say? Yeah, how, yeah. And, but also did they just, say, go for it. How or, were you raised that you ended up here, you know? How did that happen? Yeah, uh, surely at some point, if you're saying our plan is to quit both of our jobs, sell everything we have and buy a sailboat, surely one of mom or dad said, yeah, you might want to think about that one for a few weeks before launching into that plan. Yeah. And the arrogance to buy a sailboat that you, you know, you you've, don't never even, <laughs> you've never sailed before. And, and the best part of the story, when I say best, I mean best, <laughs> was that other sailors who have gone through that area before go, oh, this is a, this is a horrendous area. Like I would never come through here. But, you know, they just decided, ah, you launch a sailboat and away we and go. go for it. I won't be buying a sailboat and quitting my job anytime oh, soon. Phew. The Bulldogs would be very unhappy if you did. <laughs> the Scott Radley Show. The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.